So please take out your sermon notes and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Book of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to look at a story this morning of the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus, one on the right and one on the left. This story that we're about ready to read will totally wreck every religion except Christianity. This story is about a thief who rejects Jesus and another thief who believes in Jesus. And many try to say that this is just a special story. It's it's a, a story about how that a thief goes to heaven right before he dies. And people would like to make this story as an exception to the rule of how a person comes to know Jesus and goes to heaven. But I say to you this morning, the Bible is very clear that this is a normal story like everyone else in the scriptures and everyone who is heaven who receives God's salvation. It is a story that is the norm of how a person comes to know God. And so it is not an exception, but a normal story of how a person comes to be a child of God. And may I say this, my friend, we can all identify with one of these thieves. The question is before us, is which one can we identify with? So let's look at Luke chapter 23, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke chapter 23. And begin reading in verse, let's start with verse 39. Luke 23, verse 39. This is at the end of Jesus' life. He is, being, he is on the cross, he's hanging there, and we see these words that are printed for us a description of Jesus' death. It says in verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, or I assure you, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we're looking at the last words of Jesus from the cross. It's a series, and this is the second Sunday. We're going to go through seven statements that Jesus made from the cross and covering one for each Sunday. Last week, we looked at the first saying of Jesus from the cross. Jesus said these words, his first saying, as he was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have learned that forgiveness is of God. The second statement that we're looking at today, from the words of Jesus, I assure you, Jesus responds to the thief, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let's stop and reset the background here. 
Jesus has been a willing lamb. As a lamb like led to the slaughter, falsely accused and nailed to the cross, as Isaiah said 700 years before this event took place. Jesus is hung between two thieves. This is a great picture of Jesus, that he was there hung between two sinners. And we have to understand that Jesus was a friend of sinners. He dies between these two criminals. And again, Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be counted among the sinners, that he would bear the sins of many and intercede for sinners. Now, there's a practical truth in this as we go through this, is that Jesus was one who did not isolate him from sinners. I mean, he lived among them. He was accused of eating with them and drinking with them, being among them, uh, so much that they accused him of being uh, such a friend with sinners. And, and so when we look at Jesus' life, he, he died how he lived. And even in his death, he is among sinners. I want to add something here that's not found in the book of Luke, that's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. And it says of these two criminals, it says this, it says as they were there on the cross and they were, were bringing accusations, they were making fun of Jesus, they were mocking Jesus, and it says this, it says in the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. So there was the religious crowd and there was those people from the community, they were there making fun of Jesus. And then there are the two thieves and it's like stereo of abuse to Jesus. There's one on the right and one on the left, and they were joining in, and Jesus is at the center of this. They're taunting him, saying all types of things to mock him. And so then we come to our scripture that we just read, and we begin again in verse 39, looking at these verses closely. It says in verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are Christ, save yourself and us. I think here's what the thief was saying. He was saying as he was looking at this, and certainly he didn't want to die, and he wanted to get out of that pain and suffering. And sometimes we try to use God as a spare tire to get us out of the trouble. We put him in the trunk, and then when we when we have difficulties, we want to bring them out and get us out of that situation, then put them back in the trunk. And here the thief, and he was there, and he said, man, get us out of this place. I think also as he was looking at Jesus, that, that he was saying here, as with the others, how can we trust in a God who says he is our Savior, our deliverer, who claims to be God, he himself needs saving. He needs to be delivered. He claims to be a king and his followers have forsaken him. The guards abuse Jesus as they wish. Jesus is so weak he can't even carry his own cross. And here he hangs, getting ready to die as a criminal. How can this man... Be the truth and the life and the way. How can he say that he holds the keys of life and death? How can he claim that he is the everlasting water, that if anyone drinks of him shall never thirst? As he looks at Jesus, he claims to be the resurrection and the life. 
And there he hangs, just like common criminals. He says that he can heal others, and he did heal others, but he can't heal himself. And you expect us to trust in him? I think many people today echo that same thoughts as a thief. The struggles of life, and like this movie we just reviewed, I still believe is that the struggle of life and the pain that comes in life, and we're overwhelmed, and we say, where is God? This is not a new struggle, my friend. The, the oldest, one of the oldest books in the Bible is the book of Job, and in that book is a is the book about suffering and trying to answer and does answer the, the struggle that Job went through with pain and suffering. And how can God be all-powerful and loving and there's so much of this darkness in the world, sickness in the world, and the pain? And it seems to us like Jesus is on the cross. He's helpless. God is helpless with all that's going on. God seems to be missing in action. And so how can God claim to be a God that he says he cares and we don't see his help? If God is so real, why doesn't he come down off that cross and show us that he is God? Well, the answer to that, my friend, is wait three days. <laughs> there isn't a tomb made strong enough to keep Jesus, the Son of God, in it. And I think the, the answer to a troubling questions in our life, to where is God and why doesn't God take all the pain and suffering away, is the same answer to the thief. Wait. Wait. Because at the perfect time, at the God-appointed, God-anointed time, He's going to take all the pain and suffering. He's going to correct everything that is wrong and make it right. He's going to do that. You say, well, why doesn't he do that now? Well, my friend, there are still people who are needing to be corrected. They're in the wrong. And if God would come, he would have to take all that and purge all that is wrong out. And in his grace and his mercy, he waits for us who are wrong and incorrect and wait for us to get right with him. His mercy and grace holds off that. And so we see this sinner here, and he questions God, if you are Christ, save yourself and us. But the other thief, well, let's look at verse 40, answering in and he rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? So he looks over, and he has to look through Jesus. <laughs> the thief is on this side, and the thief is on this side. So this thief on this side rebukes this other person, this other thief, and says, Do you, e do you not even fear God or respect God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And the thief rebukes the other thief. This thief, the second thief, had a respect for God. Now we ask our question, where did he get that respect and that fear of God? We do not know. 
could be from a praying gra- a grandmother or a grandparent, a father, mother. We're not sure. Maybe he grew up in the synagogue. Maybe he knew some things about God and then gone down a path of crime, darkness of sin. But that's not the point that God wants us to know. The point that God wants us to know is understand that he came to respect God and fear God. He came to respect and he gave respect and fear to God. He knew his own sin. He said, we receive the due reward of our deeds. We are, we are guilty. This man isn't. We know that we have done wrong and we deserve the law. He knew his own sin. Well, this past week, it happened to be on Friday, we were in Ventura, Ventura downtown Ventura, and uh, we parked at a place and came back, and I had one of those little uh, thank you notes on my windshield for camping out there beyond my expected time that I was supposed to, to be there. And I got a parking ticket. I had a parking ticket. I don't know when the last time I got a parking ticket. Yeah. But I, I broke the law. It was very clear. I, w- I, w- I went past the time of, uh, that I was supposed to be there. And, and even out of ignorance, I didn't do it on purpose. But now I have to pay for breaking the law. And this thief knew exactly that he had parked in the wrong place. He had done the wrong thing, and he deserved the law. He deserved the punishment that he... You know, I want you to carefully note that the crucified thief was our Lord's last companion on earth. Now get this. He is the last companion on earth before he goes to heaven. The one that's nearest to him. You know what that says to me? He says that as as has been said of Jesus, that he was a friend of the publican or despised tax collectors and sinners. And, and we rejoice at this. And the reason we rejoice at it because it gives us assurance that he will not refuse to associate with lawbreakers like me. When the Lord Jesus made a friend of me, he certainly didn't make a choice which brought him credit. Because God lacks nothing. Do you think he gained any honor when he made me a friend of you? When he made a friend of you? Has he ever gained anything by us? No, my friend. If Jesus had not stooped very low, he would not have come to me. And if he did not seek the most unworthy, he might not have come to me and to you, but he did. (laughs) The last person in the life of Jesus is a thief who deserved to be punished by death. That gives us hope. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was innocent. He knew that Jesus was dying for their sins. He knew that Jesus could take them to heaven. He, he knew all this. And listen, he didn't, have, he didn't stop and go to classes to learn all about God. And, he, and it wasn't expected of him. And it's not expected of you and I. We don't need to know everything about God to believe in God. And the reason is, is very simple, because we will never know everything about God, because his way and who he is is far beyond 
our thinking and our ability to perceive, um, to grasp who he is. And he calls out to Jesus and calls him Lord. Calls us. And Jesus, with an incredible belief here, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. This sinner had more faith than the disciples. They all had fled. The disciples had struggled to believe the words of Jesus when he was at his peak in life. They saw miracles that he performed. As far as we know, this sinner did not see any miracle performed. Here, the disciples had seen the miracles. He had observed Jesus preaching to large crowds. And they struggled with their belief and trust in God. And yet this thief places his trust in Jesus when he was at his weakest point in life. It's amazing how he came to come to know God and trusting in Jesus. Because this, and I believe this is clearly, that salvation, my friend, is all of God. It is God that comes in and brings the covenant. It is God that does the work that brings us to a place of belief. It does not depend upon your knowledge or your status in life. Simply, he believed the promise that Jesus could take him to paradise. He came under conviction. He admitted that he was guilty. A sinner compared himself to Jesus and came to understand that he didn't measure up to a holy God. Look at verse 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The salvation of God came to this thief on the cross. And I want to examine Jesus' response to his in four different ways. Jesus said, first of all, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation of God is immediate. Not only salvation of God is immediate, but it is complete, total package. If we were to say, look at the salvation of God and you write the salvation of God sentence, we'd say salvation is of God, and then you would put a period on there. You wouldn't put any and, but, or, or dot, 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 this, etc. Salvation is of God, period, finished, complete. This wrecks the religion systems of the world. What good works did the thief accomplish to earn the favor of God? or the grace of God? Did the thief come down off the cross and he went and was able to go give money to the poor? Did the soldiers let him go help the suffering? Was he allowed to be baptized? Was he a member of a church? Did he receive his last rites? What good did What good deed did the thief do to earn his place in heaven? And the conclusion you have to come to, zero, nothing. And you may say, well, this is a special situation. I say that the Bible says that this is a normal salvation. 
bear in mind with the scriptures, it says in Ephesians 2, it says, for by grace are you saved, not of works or performance, lest any man should boast, but it's by faith. And Paul said in the book of Romans, that great patriarch of the Old Testament, Abraham, Abraham was not saved by works, but by his belief in God. And this is how the thief was saved, and this is how everyone who is in heaven is saved. When Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, it was immediate and it was complete. The thief had woke up that morning a thief. After his death, he wakes up in paradise as a saint of God. He woke up in prison, but after his death, he wakes up in eternal glory, a place called heaven. He woke up in misery, but he wakes up in bliss. He woke up with sinners. He wakes up with the saints who have gone on before him. He wakes up with Moses and Abraham and Noah and Adam and Eve and the great prophets of the Old Testament. He wakes up among the angels. He wakes up entering heaven with the King of kings and Lord of lords. He woke up in the darkness of condemnation that morning, but he wakes up in the righteousness of the eternal light, Jesus Christ. What a day it makes when the salvation of God comes into a sinner. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, salvation is of God. Number three, salvation of God secures our place in heaven, paradise. Spurgeon said this, he said, today that shall be with me in paradise. Paradise means a garden, a garden filled with delights. The garden of Eden is the type of heaven. And we know that paradise means heaven. For the apostle Paul speaks of such a man caught up into paradise. He's called, he caught up into the third heaven. Our savior took this dying thief into a paradise of infinite delight. And this is where he will take all of us that are in God. In Jesus. And salvation of God brings you into the presence of Jesus. This sinner was our last, our Lord's last companion on earth. But my friend, the same man was our Lord's first companion at the gates of paradise as he walked into the gate. The last shall be first. Today you will be with me in paradise, said Jesus. Today that shall be with me. And I think that when we think about heaven, but you know what? There's something of a greater place than heaven, and that is the place to be wherever Jesus is had. My Savior, first of all, by, by Fanny Crosby, who was totally blind for her whole life. And she writes this song that I'd like to read the lyrics to you. It says, when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. And she says, and she writes in the song, I shall know him, uh, redeemed by his side, I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hands. 
Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye, how my full heart would praise him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare me for a mansion in the sky. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come, and are parting at the river, I recall, to the sweet vales of Eden, they will sing my welcome home, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. And through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. Where Jesus is, that will be heaven for me. Because Jesus makes what heaven is. And so we see this thief, Jesus, between the two thieves. One who rejects Jesus, one who accepts Jesus. There's a story told about a man by name of Edwin Thomas. Now this uh, Thomas, he lived uh, in the late, uh, during the late uh, half of the 1800s. He was, was a master of the stage. He was a small man with a huge voice. He was one of the most well-known actors of his time. He played the part of Richard III at the age of 15 and quickly established himself as a premier Shakespearean actor. In New York, he performed Hamlet for 100 consecutive nights. In London, he won the approval of the, of the tough British critics. And when it came to a tragedy on the stage, Edwin Thomas was in a select group. When it came to tragedy in life, the same could be said as well. Edwin had two brothers. One was John, one was Eunice. Both were actors, although neither rose to a stature. In 1863, the three brothers united their talents to perform Julius Caesar. In the play, Brutus kills Julius Caesar. So the fact that Edwin's brother took the role of Brutus was eerie, considering what he would later do, because just two years later, it was this John, Edwin's brother, who played the assassin in Julius Caesar that took the role of assassin in the Ford's Theater to fire a bullet at the head of the president, Abraham Lincoln. You see, the last name of the brothers were Booth, Edwin Thomas Booth and John Wilkie's Booth. After that event, Edwin was never the same. Shame from his brother's crime drove him into retirement. He was one who was a staunch supporter of Abraham Lincoln. He never returned to the stage until a faithful twist of events happened in a New Jersey's train station. Edwin was waiting in waiting his coach when a well-dressed young man, pressed by the crowd, lost his footing and fell between the platform and a moving train. And without hesitation, Edwin pulled him to a safety. And after the sighs of relief, the young man recognized the famous Edwin Booth. Edwin, however, didn't recognize the young man and, and later had knowledge, came to him through a letter that said from one of the generals of the chiefs uh, of General Ulysses Grant's um, cabinet, and it was a letter thanking Edwin Booth for saving the life of the child of an American hero 
Abraham Lincoln. How ironic that one brother killed the president and the other brother saved the president's son. The boy Edwin Booth yanked to safety Robert Todd Lincoln. Why is it that people choose the way they do? One thief mocked Jesus and died as a sinner. And the other thief responded to Jesus and went home to heaven with his sins forgiven. I don't think there's an easy answer to that question. And Jesus said that's the way it's going to be in life. There's going to be two ways that people choose. He said this, Jesus' word says, enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be who go in that way, because straight or narrow is the gate, and hard is the way which leadeth into life, and few there be that find it. So my friend, the question before us this morning is, which thief do we identify with? Would you bow your heads in prayer? As our heads are bowed and eyes closed, I want you to think about the two thieves. If we were to be there at the cross, and we'd say, okay, folks, I want you to move to the side and stand with the thief that you can identify with most. If we were there, which one would we take a step toward? Now listen. Jesus stands between the two decisions. And he points to us and he calls us to stand with the thief who receives Salvation, which is of God. My friend, today, you could be at that crossroads. And perhaps you, under the conviction of God, that you said, you know, I want to accept what God has done. I want to believe. And it's very simple. Just right now in your own heart. And say, dear Lord, I... I respect you, God. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you can forgive me. And by you dying on a cross for my sins, you can forgive me of all my sins. And heaven can be my home. Just in your heart, in prayer. Ask Jesus. Say, tell Jesus, I want to accept what you've, you're giving. And the Bible says, if you were to die today, you have the promise of eternal life. It's settled. You could have woke up, however you woke up this morning, 
and you could enter into heaven changed person because of what Jesus did. Heavenly Father, as we have viewed this scene from the cross, Father, we are overwhelmed with your mercy and your love for us. That in the worst part of your life, in great suffering and sorrow, that you reached out and answered this thief's plea for help and forgiveness. It's amazing that you chose to journey to the depths of iniquity for us, that you might raise us up to the glory of God. And we say, oh, what a Savior. And Father, if there is one among us who needs to say, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I pray they will be moved right now to be open to all that you want to do for him, uh, for them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.